Well, welcome to Retail Level Up Moment with Mickey. Today we have two guests, Jill Shea and Laura Polanski. These women are results-driven senior retail executives with accomplished track records of driving sales and profitability in specialty retail businesses. They are product-driven merchants experienced in merchandising, design, product development, trend and color, forecasting, global sourcing, strategic planning, executive leadership, and brand building. Jill and Laura have spent their entire careers in the fashion and retail sector. These women understand that retail status quo must be disrupted and ignited. So welcome Jill and Laura. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I am so excited to chat with you too. And just so our audience knows, we used to work together when we were at Vanity and had a great run there. So, so sad that that brand has ended, but you two have done some pretty spectacular things since that portion of our, our, our moment in that career passed, but you yep. have done some incredible things since then, but I would really love to have the two of you introduce yourselves and just walk our audience through your career and how you got to where you are today. Okay, I can start. I, um, my career, I guess, started very young. I worked at my mom's store when I was 12 years old. Um, she was an entrepreneur and started up her own women's clothing business. And so I worked with her and I started going to market with her at the age of 12. And really, I think that's what first sparked my interest in the clothing industry in general was um, at that age, just really understanding business and and watching her and um, something that I really admired to be. And so once I finished college, I actually went to college for psychology, which is not clothing. Um, my dad had told me like, there is no career in fashion. Like you cannot, I'm not gonna pay for school if you're gonna go for fashion. And so I was like, well, I need someone to pay for my school and I, I'm not sure. I didn't even know that you could go to school for fashion. And so I went for psychology, but my passion was always clothing and design and um, something in that arena. And so when I finished school, instead of going on to grad school, then I, I had learned through college and through some friends that um, had studied fashion at, at the university that there was a career there and there was a path. And so I following um, my bachelor's degree, I went back to school um, for fashion um, at the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising in San Francisco. So I moved to California to follow my dream. And um, that's where it all started. I, I went to school there for originally, I thought I was going to be a designer, and then realized that I'm not really that good at design. <laughs> um, even though I, I did love it. Um, and then I started taking some math classes because they were required. And I found that I loved math and I loved retail math. And um, I took business courses and I love business courses. And so that really started my career um, into the buying realm. And that's where I knew that I definitely wanted to do um, buying um, and product development. So that's where it all kind of started. And um, while in San Francisco, I, I networked and met people. I worked at Nordstrom 
um, which is still one of my favorite retailers today. That's really where um, I learned about customer service and um, servicing a customer. And um, yeah, that's where it really all started. And I got a job after that in San Diego um, as an intern in buying. So I started off as an intern and that really taught me a lot and taught me a lot how to work my way up and really um, that you can't just go to school and get handed a degree and, you know, after that, get handed a job. So I worked as an intern there, worked my way up to an assistant buyer. And so that was in at Charlotte Roos um, and Rampage. They were both kind of a dual company. So I worked there for two years and then um, got moved to North Dakota with my husband. We got stationed here and that's where I begged for a job at Vanity. There was no openings. Um, when I first got to Fargo, they were to I was told, nope, we have no room. We have no openings right now. And I was pretty persistent. I told them I would work in the warehouse. I would do whatever it takes. Um, but I really need to work in retail and I worked my way up into a buyer role. So I don't want to, um, you know, go just, I don't want to work at a, at a clothing store. I, I want to work in the corporate office. I want to work in buying. And so I stayed persistent and they found a position for me. And then I stayed, I stayed for 12 years <laughs> and that's how I met Jill. And then that's how I met you. Mickey was at, at vanity. Yeah. Awesome. You and boy, throughout your career, you were just really driven. You knew what you wanted. Yeah, I knew exactly. Once I like started my courses in buying, I knew exactly what I wanted to do and just followed that passion. Great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, Jill, your turn. Okay. Thanks, Mickey. Uh, I'm Jill Shea. And I, like Laura, was also kind of headed down a wrong path in my college education. Um, I guess looking back, I always, from a very young age, had an interest in fashion, an interest in aesthetics, in decorating. I just was really drawn to that industry. Um, you know, and at that time, not really knowing what where that was pointing me. Um, my family had a history in education. So, you know, like many people, you kind of fall in the path that your family has. So I was headed into college in elementary education, I'm not really enjoying my field experience. And I could feel that this wasn't connecting with me. And in the meantime, I was working on the front lines in the stores um, at a store called Benetton. And that was a franchise or it is a franchise. And I really got intrigued uh, by the owner of that franchise. She had three stores. She had Fargo, Bismarck, and Grand Forks. And I thought that was just so fascinating that she was buying for her store. She was hiring her teams. She was running her stores. And I just, I loved that. And I learned, you know, that that could be a door for me. And I, I really was interested in the behind the scenes part of that. And I think that's what really sparked in me that I should go down that path. So I switched my major moved into retail merchandising and kind of got the bug for it um, through that. Um, while I was in college, there was a job posting at Vanity um, for an intern. So I applied for that. 
And that's kind of how I got my foot in the door and the behind the scenes of retail. Um, I knew I liked the front lines and I liked helping customers, you know, feel great about themselves and have that um, experience with the customers. But I was really, you know, I had a business mindset too. And I was really curious about that behind the scenes and market and whatnot. So um, got hired at Vanity and I was there from 1993 all the way up to um, 2017 when the business closed. So I was really able and fortunate like Laura to experience so many different avenues at that company and feel just blessed that I was able to do what I did there. And I think that really helped propel us into our new world of our own business. Um, so I started there as an intern and then moved into an assistant buyer and then moved into the denim buyer position. So I think all in, I was probably buying for about four or five years. And then I got moved into um, like a divisional merchandise manager role where I was overseeing tops. And then after that, that was quite a long time. That was about a decade um, where I was working directly with the buyers and um, curating the merchandise mix and working with planning and whatnot. And then the very last part of my time at Vanity, I was a chief merchandise officer. And that was maybe six, seven-ish years where I was overseeing um, the planning and the buying and um, the sourcing. So we really got into sourcing at the end of um, our careers at Vanity. And we were able with that to travel overseas. We were in, in India and Hong Kong and China factories and really got even more behind the scenes in the production arena. Um, our sourcing director had a very wealth of experience and we were, you know, so fortunate to be mentored by so many different people at Vanity um, to include you, Mickey, and, you know, different CEOs and their, um, their best practices and just learned so much in our time there. And I was there over 20 years. So um, that kind of set us up for, for what we're doing now. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So when Vanity, when the owners decided to sell, or, sorry, to liquidate in 2017, we were all faced with uh, a decision to make, you know, what, what were we, we going to do next? And the two of you very quickly landed on a decision. And I'd like to understand how you decided that you wanted to open your own business. Well, this, this is an interesting topic. Laura and I've talked about this a lot because we didn't really realize that we worked together for 12 years at Vanity and we just had a connection from the very beginning. Um, Laura was always my favorite buyer and we thought the same way. We uh, were motivated by the same things. And we, when we were at market, we were just all in, like we would get up in the morning, you know, do all of our emails and our prep work. And we would be in market, then shopping the stores because we wanted to know what everything looked like, make sure we were seeing absolutely everything in New York and LA and Hong Kong and wherever we were. And I mean, in bed by one o'clock, just in every market, we shut the market down and we're just curious people like that, um, both of us. Um, so we didn't really realize it, but all the years we worked together, we really realized that we were building a business plan because we were shopping the world's best retailers we were shopping vendors. We we're getting insight from 
so many different arenas and we were you know talking about what we liked and what we didn't and what was lacking in the world of retail and as shoppers we were disappointed and you know we loved fashion but what we wanted was at such a high retail that we wanted to bring that down and make that affordable to the real world and we knew we could do it we knew there were lines but just nobody was doing it so really we were building this plan all along and when we were faced with losing our jobs and you know losing the opportunity be, to be in a smaller community and in the industry we loved we just started brainstorming and we're like let's let's try this let's do this on our own and we were actually conceptualizing a new concept of vanity so we had done some foot, footwork and um, started to explore a different concept so we had some legwork done and we just put our heads together, um, put our business plan together and the ball started rolling and everything started to fall into place. That was a big step. Very yeah. Big step. And so did the name Leela and Lavender come before you, you really formulated the, the plan or did you like formulate the business plan and then come up with Leela Lavender? Mm-hmm. We had more of the business plan put together um, before we came up with a name. And I think that the business ha- plan really helped us formulate the name. Hmm. I think a lot of people start and they think I have to have a name. I have to have a name and that they don't have a good idea because they don't have a name. And I think the most important thing is really having what you want to do and what you want to be um, at the forefront. And you know, what, how is it going to work financially? All of those things that business plan is key and is really, you know, your roadmap. And once you start putting that together and really formulating what you want to put out there in the world, then I think you can name it. Hmm. I think it's really hard to name something when it's not done yet. You know, as you're going, um, you're really figuring it out. You're really figuring out what, what you want it to be. And I think that helped us formulate the name. And then once we started going through the names, then it made sense. Like, yes, this goes back to our mission. Yes, this goes back to what we really want to be and what we really want to stand for versus having a name and having a great name and then, and then deciding, okay, does this work or not? Mm-hmm. And so from all of what Jill, you described in all of those times that you and Laura were at market and you were seeing this gap, this need that was in, um, in, in the retail world. So that really, um, it helped you in, in deciding what product you were going to have in your assortment. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Our product assortment was really driven by the lack of what we were seeing in the marketplace. And really it was having one store that carried such a variety. You know, a lot of times you go into a store and they only carry business wear. They only carry, you know, Lululemon only carries really athleisure wear, or they only carry, you know, jeans and t-shirts. And we really felt that for a busy woman, um, you know, whatever age she is, that it's nice to go into place and get every, get your wardrobe, you know, get something that you need for work, get your athleisure wear, be able to get something, um, you know, for a ball game. So we really felt that that was important. And so that's really how we started um, 
on the product classifications of what we would carry. Mm -hmm. So how did you, how did you start? Like, how did you pull it together and did the brick and mortar come first? Did the online come first? How, how did you start and open for business? <laughs> I think, you know, kind of going back to what Laura said, we really, we had a few different types of business plans. Like when I was reflecting on, you know, the early days and how we started, we had the financial business plan. And then we had the brand business plan because we knew if we don't have a strong brand identity, we're not going to survive. And we said, we want to be the gift card that people want for Christmas. And how do we create a best in class brand? And that's kind of been one of our taglines through the whole thing is we want to be best in class in everything we do from our financial plans, you know, who we enlist in helping us with our financial plans our business planning. Um, we, we couldn't run this business just with the POS systems, cloud base that are there. So we've let we, time and time again, we've leveraged our colleagues and used them to help us in areas where we're not expertise at. So we have some people helping us develop reports that help us analyze our business. Um, so the, okay, I want to go back to the brand. So we really started to dive into the brand identity, which to us was um, making our brand feel like a home. And we thought that that was lacking in retail. We thought, you know, the retail stores are so disconnected. You can't find anybody in the stores. Um, you don't connect with anybody. And that networking piece we felt was really lacking. And so that's why when you come into our stores, you'll see, we have gathering spaces, um, bars and fireplaces, and we host parties. And we just really wanted to have a place where people can connect again and that shopping can be fun again because we didn't feel it was fun anymore. It was monotonous and promotional based. And uh, we really saw the need for that to be disrupted. So, you know, between the financial plan, the branding plan, and then the team plan, um, again, best in class, we knew um, the complexities of retail. And that's why for us, we wanted to have a partnership because we know how complex it is. And, you know, could we really curate an assortment with one buyer, mm -hmm. you know, one owner who's buying everything, hiring, working on the selling floor, going to market. And, you know, we look at these boutique owners that do all that. And that kind of scared me for sure, us. And, we felt for our concept, we would be stronger together. So that's why we did this together. And then we also reached out to some key um, past colleagues to help us and put a, a person in place to help us with the teams as we got to be, you know, into five stores because it, it is too much for a single owner to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's how it all came together was, you know, different business plans under the different avenues, which we felt were critical to bring this to life. So between the two of you, did you um, determine your strengths so that you would divide the responsibilities of who was going to be handling which pieces of the business? Yep, absolutely. So from the beginning, it was, we definitely divided and conquered. And so as Jill mentioned, with um, partnering, 
you know, we partnered with Angie who worked with us at Vanity and she was such a key person because she has marketing background and she also has store operational background. Um, And Jill and I have both worked in a store, but operationally, you know, she was stronger. She'd actually managed a store. And so she was our first store manager at Fargo. And she also at that time was helping us with marketing, um, which is not our expertise at all. And so we really, that was really important to us, um, was making sure that we have the right people in the right seats and knowing our strengths and weaknesses, both Jill and I, we're both very vocal about what we're good at and what we're not. And so we kind of divided and conquered. And then when we got to like, you know, things like IT, HR, you know, then we're kind of rolling a dice, like, okay, you take this one. I'll take that one, you know, on areas where we're really not experts. And we had to be in the beginning, you know, you have to be. And so her and I would then just talk, you know, like I took on some IT things and Jill took on construction and, you know, we again, worked with our strengths and weaknesses of our personalities. She knows that I'm a little bit better at technology, not a lot, a little bit better. And she's definitely um, better with, you know, communication in terms of like being very, very detailed with when we're doing construction. So, you know, those types of things we, we definitely taught and it's a lot of really communication. I, th- I think that's important too, to that over communication of everything um, between us, between us and our teams um, so that everyone understands and, and knows their roles. So looking back, it was February 1st of 2017 when your roles at Vanity ended. And then it was about, was it eight months later that you opened your first Leela and Lavender store? Yeah. Wow. October 25th, 2017. That's a pretty quick timeline. Yeah, it was. Um, I I think like Jill had mentioned earlier, because we've been working on this business plan for years, that once we started putting it down on paper, it came really quickly. And it and everything kept working out. You know, there's there's definitely there were hurdles, but those hurdles were overcame pretty quickly. It was like we asked a few questions and then it was like, oh yeah, okay, we can do this. You know, and so it just seemed that everything was was working out and and coming to the right direct coming in the right direction, I would say. And so that really, I think, made it go quick. And the same with, you know, building the next store and the next store. Um, If an opportunity came, then we jumped on it. And I think, you know, that fear that you have inside, it's so important to definitely like you feel that fear, but it also fuels you. And, you know, you can't let it scare you. And the more that we worked on it, the more the fear went away. So it's like the more that you just keep following what you need to follow. And, you know, every day I would wake up and I would say to myself, just keep going, just keep going. And, and it just, it works. It's, it's amazing what you tell yourself and how that fuels what you know you need to do because everyone inside of them knows what they really need to do. And if you just do that, things happen quickly mm-hmm. and you may not be a success overnight. Definitely. Like I'm not saying that, but 
um, the path will lead you for sure. Yeah. You just have to keep taking a step every day. That persistence. Yep. You have to be persistent. Exactly. It's exactly right. So you said you opened your first brick and mortar store on October 25th, 2017. Is that right? I think I was there for that. I was there that opening weekend. Yeah. So did you also launch online sales at that time? We did. Um, We launched, actually, we launched earlier than our actual open. When we started to get product in, we were so excited about it. Um, We also utilized one of our former models at Vanity um, Page, who um, you now see on all of our lives. Um, We coerced her to come work for us. And um, we started shooting product on her. And we said, well, we have a Facebook page, like, let's start putting our product up. You know, even though our store isn't the construction's not complete, let's start. And so at that point, we started um, building our Facebook page, putting product on our Facebook shop, and we sold through Facebook. And at that same time, so you did sell online before you opened your first brick and mortar. Slightly earlier. Yeah, it was August, I believe, um, when we started getting in our first products. So we started putting some product up on Facebook. And um, yeah, just started selling, you know, little bits there. And then definitely, you know, our website came more with the, our actual Lila and Lavender website went up around the same time as, as our open. Okay. And what was your initial plan for number of stores? What was that timeline originally? We had in our business plan, uh, five stores, five years plus web. So we really, I mean, that was so, um, such an amazing feeling to get the reaction that we got in Fargo. Uh, we were so embraced by the community and the shoppers and the customers and just everybody that we've known that we got proof of concept right away. So that gave us, um, confidence to move forward, um, but like Laura said, still the fear of, will this work in uh, Maple Grove? Will this work in Detroit Lakes? And I probably made Laura insane because before every store opening, I'm like, could we pick the right spot? Are we going to be successful here? Are they going to like us? And I just, I had to have a quote like on my mirror in the bathroom that said, fear is your compass telling you where to go and that you need to have a little bit of that to keep you on your toes and to be challenging what you did and to never, or to keep, you know, kind of looking back and say, did we think of everything? And a lot of times we went back and added, you know, a different plan or let's layer this on top of it. Um, But yeah, it happened very quickly and we hit our five-star goal in two years. In two years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And and it was a world. So you have five now. We do. And what are your plans? Are you going to have any more? We, prior to COVID, we were actually um, scouting with a realtor um, and we were pretty interested in another spot. And then with everything that happened, uh, we kind of pivoted. Well, actually, before this happened, we knew that we wanted our web, our biggest store. And in the very beginning, we we're partnering with um, a local digital marketing agency to help us um, 
do sponsored ads and to um, become more known on web. And we were seeing some success with that. Um, it just wasn't getting us the volume that we had hoped. Um, so we partnered with a marketing agency out of California and we worked with them in the very beginning and we basically got sticker shock at how much it would cost us to partner with them. Mm -hmm. uh, we needed a little bit of proof of concept first with our, our local agency. And once we started to see that we, at the beginning of this year of 2020, we're like, you know what, we're, we, we got a move in the right direction online, but it's, there's so much more that we can capture. Mm -hmm. So we went back to this um, original company that we wanted to go with. We were just concerned about the price at the time, early on in our business. We got another proposal with them and we took a, a test and that was probably in January, February of this year. And right away we started to see the momentum and then the pandemic hit mm -hmm. and we started to move heavy funding into that avenue and we got payback right away. And wow. we were just so fortunate that during the time that our stores were closed, we were able to sustain because it was, you know, when COVID happened, we, our web wasn't what it is now. And in one year's time, web went from being our smallest store to our largest store by far by 50%, 50% more than our largest store. Wow. Wow. That's so, a big jump. Yep. Wow. So what was your decision-making process when you were selecting your brick and mortar locations? We, um, we really wanted them to be, we talked a lot about proximity. We, you know, for us to be best in class, we wanted to be able to be in our stores and to get to them quickly and to be in them frequently. So we said we didn't, in the beginning, we didn't want a plane ride. We wanted to be able to drive and to keep our pulse on our little babies that were, you know, in these new communities. Um, that was one thing. We also had some historical data from our time at Vanity. So we knew some volumes in these areas and that kind of helped us um, choose our locations. We also really, um, wanted to be surrounded by women-centric businesses. Um, we talked a lot about in the beginning of building Leela and Lavender that we wanted to honor our customer's time, that she's very busy. Um, like Laura said, the one-stop style shop where she can find everything she needs for every occasion. Um, so we liked to be by, you'll see in where we, where we could, we're close to um, exercise places. We're close to coffee shops. Um, you know, we had a hit list. We'd love to be by um, Starbucks. We'd love to be by um, Pure Bar or any um, innovative ath athletic workout type place. Um, you know, a Lululemon, we kind of had a target list of who we would want to be by. And we were for, you know, medical spas and hair salons. So you'll see in our locations that we're strategically near businesses that are very women-centric. Mm -hmm. So smart to have a plan that you're surrounding yourself with where your target customer would frequent. So mm -hmm. great tip. Yeah. So you talked about um, you were doing, you, you were utilizing a digital marketer that was local, and then you made the jump to go to a bigger um, digital marketing company based in California. 
Did you do any other type of marketing other than digital social media? Did you do any kind of print marketing? Mm-hmm. Um, in the very beginning, when we first when we first opened, social media was our number one source of marketing. So just utilizing Facebook and Instagram platforms, um, not from a paid perspective, but just from you know having a company or corporate page, and that's what really. Uh, got us started and really helped us network. I would say like that's the number one um, form of marketing that really got our name out there, especially in the beginning. And just being able to, you know, tag, you know, when you're in a magazine, your friends can't tag you or share with you or, you know, anything like that. So, you know, we definitely put a huge focus on the social media platforms and then I would say the second form of marketing is just the grassroots networking. And we really networked with other business owners in the community and really worked with them to have shopping parties and um, partnered with them on events, partnered with them on gift baskets when we had an event. So, and then really putting our name and our business card in their stores and locations. And so really you know, the grassroots marketing for us has really helped. And especially in some of these smaller communities where we went in, um, really utilizing, you know, our other business partners to help help spread the word about about Lila and Lavender. So mm-hmm. that's definitely two of the marketing forms that we used early on that cost us nothing, except for time. And so I think that, you know, going back, that's definitely something that I would do again. And we still do. I mean, we still um, do a ton of grassroots marketing and our, now our store managers do a ton of grassroots marketing. So that's really a really important part of our business. And like I said, it costs us nothing except time and also helps us not only get our name out there, but, you know, gets us networking with not just business owners, but then they become shoppers and they become our friends. So, you know, it's so, so important and we learn from them. Mm-hmm. So the, definitely the opportunities that we gain from that are so important. We did do, to answer your question about print and, and radio, we done a little, we dabbled, I would say, in, and we still do in TV, radio, and print, but those definitely are more minor and um, they have to be right. They have to be brand right. You know, the magazine can't just be any magazine. It has to be a magazine that we connect with, um, that we feel our customer reads, or the time of year that we think she's reading it. So um, we're definitely very particular about how we spend our marketing dollars. Um, there's so many ways to market and marketing is can be so expensive. And so we really pick and choose um, based on the month, you know, where we're putting those dollars. So do you have a marketing calendar where you're planning out um, what you're going to post? How are you going to boost that post? Or is this just a picture or is this going to be a video? Do you, so do you have like a comprehensive marketing calendar? Mm -hmm. We have a calendar. We have, um, you know, we work with Angie weekly uh, and there's so many things too, that with a small business, things pop up, you know, you might hear something that's happening next weekend or, you know, even tomorrow, you know, sometimes those things. And that's, what's nice about being small is that we can then, you know, kind of last minute, you know, we're, we're adding something to the marketing, I guess, to essentially to the marketing calendar. And now with doing digital, you know, we have to plan out, 
you know, all of our Black Friday, small business and all of those things. So yeah, we're definitely always, always planning. Good. It's a good tip because a lot of small business owners, they're so consumed with the day-to-day things and tasks that have to be done. Um, they can quickly lose sight of that strategic planning and that, you know, can snowball and sneak up on them if they don't have, take the time to plan. So good tip. So you, you mentioned that your online business is now double your biggest store. We've grown it this year substantially. Like we said, um, you know, we, in the beginning of this, we're like, will this continue when people get back to work and, you know, go back to lives and it has continued. Um, We were able to get this to be a nationwide brand, you know, in the last year. So we were just astonished with the power of, of what you can do um, online. And it really has opened our eyes to, you know, what, what the future of our business will be. Um, And we're, we're pushing well ahead of industry averages in our web business. Hmm. Awesome. So do you have any plans to adjust your product assortment, your categories or the mix in any way? Yeah, we're always, <laughs> we're always evaluating our current mix and always looking for the next thing. Um, Jill and Jill and I, every market, like she mentioned earlier, we shut down the market. So when we're going, we're, Somehow in Dallas, we always end up in the home and gift section, you know, because we like it, but we're always looking for the next category or what's going to be relevant in her life. And so, yeah, there's always things that, you know, we're working on our products or things that we're going to test, you know, we'll test whether it's at the start of COVID, you know, we tested playing cards and some games and puzzles and things like that, um, coloring books you know, there's always a new trend and a new, uh, something new popping up. And we definitely always want to be on top of those things and trying them, even if they don't work or don't resonate. Um, Then we pivot and and we try something else. So there's been lots of product classifications we've, you know, tried and maybe they haven't worked out. So, you know, we get out of those classifications and then we try new ones, but we're always looking, we're always searching and it's fun. It's, part of the challenge is to find, you know, what's new and next and what's relevant in the world. And I think that you have to do that. I don't think that you can be stagnant and just sell sweaters and say, well, I'm a sweater store. I'm always just going to sell sweaters. You know, that's great. But, you know, sometimes the customer wants more and she wants more from you and, you know, life changes. And we all know with 2020, how much life has changed and, and so, yeah, you always have to be on to the next thing or at least be aware of it and be willing to, to try new things. Yep. Innovation, because the one constant is in business is change. Yep. <laughs> so you've already shared that you definitely had a business plan. It was written. You had a financial plan written out. Um, do you have a mission statement for Leela and Lamander? We definitely do. We have a lot of taglines and we continually use them with our team so that we're all marching to the same drum, the same path that we all understand our foundation. Um, so our first mission statement, um, and we, it's, you know, below our Leela and Lavender on some of our marketing or most of our marketing, it's 
um, style, adventure, and passion for good. And we landed on that because of what we discussed earlier that we wanted to be the one-stop shop and that style should be an adventure and it should be fun and it should be an experience and exciting. So that's why we liked the style adventure. We also liked it because ourselves were on a new adventure. We just lost our jobs um, in an industry that we loved. We were having to leave our counterparts and our coworkers. And I mean, it was like a death when Vanity um, announced their, their closing and it was really, really hard for us. So we decided to not to look at it as our glass half full and what are we gonna do with this? And we're on a new adventure. Um, because we had to look at it that way because it was a really it was really a tough time. And then passion for good um, was really important to us because we wanted to use business as a force for good. And we wanted to um, encourage people to also do that. And we felt with that as a platform that we would encourage our teams to give back and our customers to give back. And we've been able to do um, some amazing things within our communities. And we challenge our teams within the communities to connect to um, charities and philanthropies that are important to them, important to the community and to give back. And we've, we've had some of the most um, amazing give backs, um, Landon's Light Foundation. We just did one this year for Cody's Courage, a young man that got, was in a diving accident and is trying to recover. And it's just, it's been one of my favorite parts of, of doing this brand for sure. Hmm. So would you share what tools you use specifically? Because there are a lot of small business owners, when they're thinking about opening a brick and mortar or an online business, there are so many options. Mm-hmm. And not that, you know, the ones that you're using are perfect, but it helps narrow down the field. So I always like to ask my um, small business owners if they would share, like, what do you use for customer relationship management? What do you use for your POS system? So mm-hmm. could you share what, what tools you use? Sure. We use Vend as our POS system. And um, we utilize WorldPay as our payment processing through Vend. And we utilize Shopify for our web platform. Mm-hmm. And then and when, when, I, when we first started the business, as far as like financials and things like that, we utilized QuickBooks. Um, which is wonderful. I highly recommend. And then now, um, and they, I did payroll through QuickBooks. So if you are a smaller business, I highly suggest it's very easy. Um, I would not say that I'm super tech savvy and I was able to, to utilize that, um, very easily. And then now we, we hired out, um, our, um, payroll and accounting because with five stores, there's, there's no, no way for us to, to handle it all, but, um, they still utilize the QuickBooks that I started. Hmm. And so that's something to, you know, as a business owner, if you start with QuickBooks, you can always find somebody to help you. Um, and they can still use what you already started. So that's, that's what we did. Okay. And how do you manage the employee HR part of the business? Do you handle it all yourselves? Do you engage with a third-party service? What do you do? Angie handles most of the HR um, as far as like the paperwork and things like that. Um, And then the same accounting um, firm that we utilize, they help us um, with payroll, um, which is also then helpful with 
the employee, like entering in the employees, the W-2 forms, all of that. Okay. Yep. So what was the most surprising thing you discovered when you opened that first brick and mortar store? I think the most surprising thing was just how acceptable or how accepted we were in the community. And I think that was really surprising just how small businesses um, are supported. I, I, I felt, um, especially in Fargo, um, that there's just such a close network um, of people that really came in and helped and, you know, still do want to do want to partner with us and, and help us. And then as long with what Joe was saying about the philanthropy piece, just how much people are willing to give and to give back to their communities and want to give back and feel good about giving back. And it surprised me in a good way. And it really, again, is another fuel to keep going because it gives you another purpose than just selling clothes. You know, it's our passion to sell clothes, but there's so much more. And when we can give back and see that, you know, our business can be a force for good, there's nothing more rewarding than that. So the two of you have been in retail on the corporate side for pretty much your entire careers. And, but it's different when you are an employee working for someone else and now you're the owners. What, um, compare and contrast that. What is, feels different for you now as an owner that you were like, oh, I didn't realize that it was gonna feel like this. I think, you know, as an owner, Jill and I talked a lot about this yesterday, actually, you know, when you're an owner, you are accountable for the people that you've hired, and they become your family. And I think, you know, that's the biggest difference is that really, the accountability there is now you feel that you are accountable for them versus being accountable to somebody else. You know, when you're working for somebody else, it's a, a, you want to do well and you want to do well for the company. And, um, you know, you're motivated by, I guess, your salary and you're motivated by your, you know, the people that you work with and by what you're doing. But as an owner, you, there's a whole nother level of accountability that, that you have and you want to succeed, not just for you you want to succeed because you have people that you've hired and now um, you're able to provide for them. And I think that that's the biggest difference for us as being business owners versus employees. Mm -hmm. What have you found to be most challenging in the fact that you are operating now in three States? Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. Three brick and mortar and then all states on web. Yeah. Yep. So what's the most challenge, biggest challenge you've had to overcome with that multi-state business? I would say this theme comes up all the time that you can't, you know, when we were employees for a corporate environment, we could specialize, like we could be experts in the merch 
merchandise and experts in how it looked in the stores and now you're spread so so thin and still staying on top of you know the product and what's going to bring the people into the store um multi-states multi-regulations um different tax brackets and i would just say we continue to realize that you know product is product in our teams are the most important piece of our business and that's what is going to draw people into the stores and that has to always come first and we try to leverage other people to help us when we can um, when we are starting to get spread too thin like the accounting like what Laura was talking about like that could consume us and then we wouldn't be doing justice to the company so um, time and time again we've we we try to specialize as much as we can and we enlist people even in our stores that may have a strong expertise in merchandising a strong expertise in HR and we challenge them to leverage those those specialties and even use them in other stores like we brought in a HR expert from our past at Vanity and she helps us go into the other stores and you know help them establish their best practices and their binders because we know we can't be everywhere and do everything. And so, and it empowers our teams too, that, you know, they've got another title under their belt and um, we're giving them that responsibility to, to have some, you know, additional ownership in the, in the business. That's so good. Leverage your strengths, leverage your employee strengths, mm-hmm. empower them to succeed. Awesome. So what are your top tips, your do's and your don'ts if you were to advise someone who was thinking about starting a brick and mortar business or an online business what are the most powerful things that they should do um number one the business plan um your roadmap is critical and to fine-tune that along the way um definitely the business plan financial and creative um as a starting point and passion um if you don't have a passion for the business that you're creating, it would be really, really easy to stop because you have to be all in. You have to be on call at any time of the day. Um, it never leaves your mind. Um, and it's not easy. It's, it's probably one of the most difficult things you'll ever do is to have your own business. Um, you're looking out for the livelihoods of your family, the livelihoods of your employee family, like Laura said, it's a great, great deal of pressure. And, you know, it's wonderful when the sales are good. And it's scary when the sales are bad. But that has always fueled us to figure out how are we going to fix it? And how are we going to pivot to to cover for a store that might be underperforming because of a certain road construction or whatever it might be. Um, but that passion has got to be there for sure. Um, leverage your network. I think that theme comes up again and again that we, we can't know everything and we don't know everything. And when we don't, there's people that are really willing to, to help teach you. And, you know, had we not leveraged a former colleague for our digital marketing partner, you know, what would have happened to us this year during COVID? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, don't be afraid to reach out and to ask people for help because they, they really are there for you. And I guess the last thing that I would say is innovate. Um, never, 
never sit with status quo. And like you said, Mickey, the only thing guaranteed is change. And we stress that time and time again to our teams that innovation is our DNA. And we want to be here for the next 10, 20, 30 years. And how are we going to do that? It's not going to be doing what we're doing today. Wow, those are great. Any tips of pitfalls that they should avoid that you would like to share, you know, a, a top don't? I would say um, don't let fear stand in your way that it's a horrible, horrible four-letter word. And I think it can stop you from doing what you should, you really should be doing. One of, I think, the toughest transitions for, um, for anyone who has been an employee and now is an employer, um, it's motivating yourself. And, and you, you talk about fear and not letting it stop you. But do you have anything? You, you mentioned that there's a, something you put on your mirror, Jill, that motivates you every morning. What, what are the tips that you have that help you stay motivated and inspired every day to keep challenging yourself to keep going? I think every day you get up, like Jill has, you know, a quote on her mirror. Um, I kind of have the quote in my head, just keep going. And I think, again, we're motivated so much by each other, but we're also motivated by our employees that we have. Um, and we're motivated by the brand. We're motivated just in general by the passion that we have. And I think that focusing on that each and every day is so important and not focusing on so much of the negative that comes with, you know, running a business or being an entrepreneur, because there's definitely negative things. And obviously all of 2020, um, you could say is negative and you could get up every day and say, well, today is going to be horrible because nobody's going to shop because nobody has anywhere to go. And, you know, we could focus on that or we can focus on, okay, how, how do we, how do we do things different and how do we still create happiness? And that's, you know, another one of our um, taglines. We always say um, happiness inside and we say that to ourselves and we have, you know, we are always asking that of our employees. Are you creating happiness inside of yourself, inside of your store? And, and if you're not, then we need to figure out how to do that. But that, that's the key is, is every morning getting up and saying, how am I going to create that happiness? Um, happiness for me, happiness for my employees, happiness for my brand. And, and then um, in turn, it will create happiness for our customers. Mm-hmm. And finally, what is next for Leela and Lavender? That's a big question, Mickey. <laughs> we, we, Laura and I are always brainstorming and I think our best brainstorming sessions are when we're traveling, um, you know, when we're sitting by each other on an airplane and have, you know, two solid hours or a dinner. And we have some really good test concepts that we, you know, we talk a lot about when our leases are up. Um, some of our leases are up in two years. Some of our leases are up in five years. Some of them are up in 10 years. And what will our round look like then? And we know it won't look like it does today. And from now until those leases are up, we're testing. And 
we're rolling out new and different things. Some will work, some won't. Um, you know, we're still scouting. Um, we still touch base with our realtors, even though right now might not be the best time to be expanding brick and mortar. But um, we know that um, shopping will be a part of people's lives forever. We know that the experience is critical and there's different concepts that we are really curious about and we're working on some different concepts right now to All test right. in their future. Well, so stay I wish tuned. you much continued success. You are definitely a success story. And I love the fact that you are so committed to innovation and constantly looking for what's going to be next. And, and just your statement there that you know that Leela and Lavender, how it looks today is not going to be the way it looks 10 years from now, and that you're open to that and embracing it. And uh, because of that, I have no doubt that you will be very successful. So thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Mickey. for having us. We, yes. will, we will be watching Leela and Lavender. Mm -hmm. and, and our audience, they can find you at leelaandlavender.com, yes. also on Facebook, Instagram, Yep, at and, they, and they should definitely follow you because you do a lot of live events that are a lot of fun. We do a lot of live, a lot of live events and we post all of our sales and events on our social media pages. All right. Very good. Well, thank you, Laura and Jill. Thank Thanks you. So